everybody. This is Aaron Boyd. I am a uh, professor of violin at the uh, Meadows School of the Arts at SMU, and I'm director of chamber music as well. And I'm delighted to come to you today to introduce to you and to speak with a great artist, a great pedagogue, a great colleague, a great car repairman, and a great friend, Maestro Andres Diaz. Andres, welcome. Thank you, Aaron. <laughs> um, let's start. I'm delighted to be able to talk with you today, and I'd like to start from your very early childhood years. I know that you were born in the great Santiago, Chile, and I'd like you to describe your early years growing up there in such a beautiful and heritage-rich country. Yeah. I, uh, well, I was born in 1964 uh, in Santiago at a, at a, a, a tiny, tiny... <laughs> My, the last time I was in Santiago with my father, he actually showed me where I was born. It was a tiny, tiny little house called the Boston Clinic, <laughs> which is funny because then I ended up living in Boston for 20 years. But, uh, you know, I mean, obviously, the, the, before a certain age, you, one tends not to remember much uh, what was really, uh, you know, Santiago is so beautiful. It's in between these huge, huge mountains. Uh, and we're about a 45 minute drive from the coast. But you have to go through two huge mountain ranges to get to mm. the coast. Um, it's really spectacular. But what I remember early in life is is not unfortunately not great. Uh, you know the uh, the dictator uh, uh, Salvador uh, Allende uh, yes. was president of uh, Chile for the last four years that we were there, uh, and actually we left September tenth. Uh, 1973, and on September wow. 11th, he actually either committed suicide or was killed in the in the presidential palace. Wow! Uh, and then, of course, after that, uh, Pinochet took took over, and you know, in some ways things got better, and in some ways things got worse. Uh, you know, the right. country started to do better economically and things like that. Uh, and actually, I I met Pinochet numerous times whenever I would go down there and play because he always sat in the presidential box when I played with the Philharmonic down there amazing uh amazing. and it was it was incredible to see this man so elegantly dressed with a you know he he was wearing all his presidential garb always with when he uh when he came backstage but uh anyway i you know all my family lives there except for the immediate family of course uh and i do go down there every so often to play and it's you know it's, it's kind of great to to get reacquainted with my country you uh, mentioned your family and i know that you i think it's worth the uh, for people to understand that you come from an extraordinarily musical family. I'm wondering if you could talk about that a little bit. Yes. My uh, my my father is a, a violist. He was the principal violist of the Chilean Philharmonic and the, the Chilean Chamber Orchestra. Uh, and my mother was a pianist. Uh, she passed away about three years after we moved to the U.S. in 1976. And, um, so, you know, I used to, I used to love to just, uh, lie down under the piano when they would rehearse and, uh, you know, they would rehearse recital stuff and everybody in the family, uh, played an instrument. My older sister played piano, uh, Jenny, who lives in Fort Worth, uh, and, uh, my brother is violist, president of Curtis at this point. Um, and, uh, he played violin for a while, but he obviously didn't like it. He managed to make himself roll all the way down a set of stairs with a violin in his hand. <laughs> <laughs> I think it, the, the violin turned into toothpicks, but, um, 
But anyway, um, yeah, and we, and, you know, we started, uh, obviously, as, as soon as I started playing, we started playing stuff together, and uh, we've done a lot of family concerts over the years. In fact, my my parents, when they lived in Columbus, Georgia, the, 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 the mayor came and uh, uh, declared a certain day of the year, Diaz Family Day. <laughs> ah. Uh, the, the day of, of, of our big family concert with the Columbus Symphony. Now, you started the cello at age five, and I wonder... Uh, given that your brother was already playing um, a violin or viola, and your sister's playing violin, was the cello your choice or somebody else's? You know, my my first choice, uh, and still my favorite instrument is the is the classical guitar. Ah. I I I can't imagine a, a more beautiful sounding instrument. And in fact, my dad took me to a uh, Segovia concert because Segovia was playing with the uh, the Chilean uh, chamber orchestra. And, you know, he took me to see the guitar and the, he was doing the Rodrigo uh, Aranjuez concerto, which has a yes. beautiful cello solo in the first movement. And as soon as I heard the cello, I was like, oh, that's kind of nice too. So <laughs> I remember having this conversation with my dad. I would have been like three or four years old. I actually started playing when I was four. I don't know why the, the, the bio that the Barrett office sent out so many years ago said that I started when I was five. Ah, I see. But, but uh, you know, so then I, uh, you know, he was like, well, do you like the guitar or did you like the cello more? I was like, well, I don't know. You know, it's just, so anyway, uh, long story short, uh, uh, Pierre Fournier came to play, um, I think it was like a Baccarini B flat. My dad doesn't really remember. And I, and he took me to one of the rehearsals. He actually put me in a small chair right in front of Pierre Fournier to listen to the rehearsal. And uh, so I got to I got to meet him, and I just loved the way he played. I, you know, he played on a beautiful gefriller uh, cello, yes. and I think that that's maybe where I had it in the back of my mind that that's the cello that I had to have. I I don't know that for sure, but uh, the gefriller was always sort of front and center. And and I know that you have a beautiful gefriller violin. It's it's funny that you mentioned that. I was going to come to this question later, but it. But when you say that, it, I, I think it's worth noting that the reason I think that I was um, so attracted by the idea of purchasing my own violin is that uh, Casals, who's one of my heroes, the great Pablo Casals, uh, played on a gofriller. And also my, my very influential teacher, um, Harvey Shapiro, played on a gorgeous gofriller. And I think that right. that was very influential for me. So hearing you talk about Fournier's gofriller, I totally understand. I totally understand. Isn't that something? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and, and Leonard Rose came to play with the orchestra. I mean, you know, I just got to meet all these people. And in fact, right before I was born, Heifetz had come to play with the Chilean Philharmonic. And, and, you know, my dad tried to talk to him, but that didn't go very far. That's not going to go work out. Uh, so <laughs> let the record reflect. Let, let, let the record reflect that your career began at four and not five. I think this is an important point. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I've never changed yeah. that on the bio, but but I yes, I did start when I was four, and I and I and believe it or not, I started on a on a big viola that my dad had that he put an imp in, and because I was so small. <laughs> well, I won't I tell you, brother. Yeah. <laughs> 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 tell me, Andres, I know that you moved eventually uh, around eight years old to Atlanta, and I'm wondering what transpired uh, to make this move happen. Well, you know, I think politically, my my dad was in trouble down there because uh he would not go along with uh with with you know the the he just did not play along with 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 Allende uh and a lot of a lot of the musicians in the orchestra since Allende was essentially giving money to for the orchestra to be able to exist 
they became very enamored with with the whole Allende uh, presidency, and my dad just wasn't going to put up with it. And I, right. we we worried that he would be one of the people that would disappear. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie Missing, but that's a lot. A lot that whole miss the. the the whole idea of people just disappearing was what that right. movie was about. Uh, they were making people, uh, they were filling the stadium, uh, stadium walls with, with people, uh, so that they would just like, they were, they were just gone forever, you know, Amazing. craziness. Uh, so well, talk to you me know, about, when, when he, when, when the... he, well, he, the, the, the way that coming to, uh, America came about is, uh, Gunther Schuller, um, came to conduct uh, the Chilean uh, Philharmonic. And uh, he, you know, my, he, my dad uh, introduced himself and they got, they actually became uh, quite close. And so the next time that Gunther came to conduct, uh, he decided that he wanted to do the, the Bartok and the Hindemith Schwanendreer uh, viola concertos with my dad playing. Uh, because those pieces had never been played in Chile. And, uh, so they became, they became very, very close. And one day, uh, he called my dad and he said, Hey, you know, I know that you'd love to come back to the U S my dad had studied at Indiana university. So, uh, he still had his, uh, musicians union card, uh, I see. because he had, he had done some recordings and stuff, uh, when he was in school. Uh, and, uh, he said, look, Robert Shaw is looking for a violist for the viola section in the Atlanta symphony. And he said, we'll pack up and go as soon as we can get out of here. And so we packed up all our stuff. And then, of course, because of the fact that Allende uh, was either killed or killed himself, uh, all of our stuff, like all of our furniture, beds, everything, ended up stranded in the Chilean uh, airport for about eight months. Wow. So, uh, so we spent a lot of time with very little <laughs> our first year. Uh, <laughs> there but um yeah that's that's how the whole thing came about of us uh being able to get out of of chile and uh you know and, and come to the u.s later on you would uh, graduate from the, the uh, great new england conservatory and i was wondering if you could just talk about your training there what were the great uh, influences there and how you carry this training to your uh, present day well, uh, New England was was incredible. I, I I have to give a lot of credit to my high school teacher Martha Grzeszewski, uh, because she was a she was essentially a tyrant. And uh, working with her, <laughs> you either learned to play the cello or you just did something else. <laughs> okay. uh, she was the one that uh, you know from the age of uh, eight and a half nine till I fifteen when I went to college. Uh, she pushed me so hard with you know concertos and. Um, I mean, before I went to college, I had played most of the standard concertos with orchestra. Uh, so she had me up in front of orchestras from the time that I was like 10, uh, playing, you know, uh, Sanson's concerto and things like that. I see. Uh, so she, she got me ready for school. I think I had played almost every etude ever written, including all the Paganini caprices and all the stuff that <laughs> she had, uh, transcribed. <laughs> and, um... Uh, uh, you know, so she got me ready for, for, for New England and I, I played for Larry cause I, I, I hadn't graduated from school yet. And Larry came down to Atlanta to do auditions and, uh, Roberto, my brother was 
at New England Conservatory at the time, and he said, hey, you know, my, my, my brother's a pretty good cellist. You should hear him play while you're down there. So that's how that came about. And he said, I want you to come next year. And uh, so I was able to finish school early and uh, come to NEC. The second year at NEC was interesting because Larry Lesser became president of the school for the rest yes. of my tenure. <laughs> <New England Conservatory. laughs> yes. So um, uh, uh, Colin Carr came uh, to teach there. Uh, he had just won the Naumburg competition, uh, the one before the one that I won. Uh, and... Um, uh, Bernard Greenhouse started teaching there. Uh, there was, was just an incredible number of uh, great cellists just coming in and, and out of the you, building. Did you work with, with Did you work with the great uh, Anner Bilsma there as well? And I yes, and I and Anner uh, was was coming in maybe like once a month ish. Uh, I see. And so I you know I worked on so much repertoire with him, including the forty popper etudes. He played that stuff so beautifully. It was really you know sort of a, a game changer for me in terms of how to teach that stuff. Uh, it seems that students. we share, we, we, we share not only a love of Gofriller, but also the, the, the very large um, imprint of the influence of Honor Bilsma in our, in our lives, because I worked with him at Marlboro and played right. through at least 50 of the hundred or so Baccarini cello quintets with him. And he was, he was one of the most um, influential and inspired artists I've ever known in my life. Oh, it just absolutely incredible, and and so in 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 so many ways, so out there, right? Uh, yes, he was he, crazy. <laughs> he would start he would start playing, and you know he ball hit this long strand of hair up in his hands, and he put it on top of his head, and then he would start <laughs> playing something, and you could see it sort of shake off and fall back down. <laughs> just such a such a, 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 a strange man, but but what a yeah. what an what an incredible musician and musical presence so i think that not that many people ever became aware of how well he actually played the cellos not that he could just play the box suites uh beautifully but you know he did the survey etudes with uh, with a yes. second cello part uh, the guy was just an absolute monster technician on the instrument absolutely well yeah. um i'd like to know i'd like to ask you um where you know, now moving onwards from your your early years, where did you find this passion for teaching, and where did your teaching career actually begin? Oh, but you know, I started teaching. Uh, I, I I don't want anybody to feel sorry for me because I, I've I've always found a way to make things work. But I I essentially started teaching so that I could eat. <laughs> yes. I uh, <laughs> I when I left home, I I said to my dad, I said, I am going to make this work for myself. You do not have to send me money. You do not have to, I don't want, I don't want a cent from anybody. I want to make, I, I want to start my career as soon as I start school. Uh, so no. I started looking for places to play concerts. Uh, I believe it or not, I lived in a convent uh, for free for, for, I don't know how many years in, in Boston uh, wow. so that I could. Um, and all I had to do was just work on the nuns cars. That's incredible. Uh, and, and like keep the electrical in the building going. You know, I had to, you know, I would change light bulbs. I would change light switches. I would do all kinds of stuff. That's where I learned how to, how to fix my own house. Um, but uh, I, I would get up incredibly early, go into school, uh, 4.30 in the morning, no traffic. Uh, I would pick up as many quarters as people had like 
thrown at the toll machine that had not gone yes. in so that I had uh, enough money to buy a slice of pizza. Amazing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I could find a parking space, all the, all the nightmares in Boston. But, um, uh, yeah, it was, it was one of those things where the second year that I was there, I, uh, I had played a concert somewhere and some, uh, older woman called the school and said, you know, I heard this cellist and I'm just wondering if he would be willing to teach somebody that's, I think she was like in her eighties. I'm sure she's long gone now. Uh, and, uh, that was my first student. I was a, what, what is the second year sophomore, right? Um, yes. And I, I, you know, I taught her a couple of lessons and we would laugh about, you know, sometimes the a sound that she would make, you know, I would say, I remember saying to her, I said, I don't think you would ever speak to your mother with that voice. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so we, we would have just a great time. We would laugh about all kinds of stuff. And she started telling people that she knew in the Newton area that she was studying with this this guy that was that was really funny and uh and that you know she she said she liked the way i played so i started getting students uh, pretty much immediately and by the time that i graduated i was teaching i think oh gosh uh, when i was doing my artist diploma uh, i think i was teaching maybe 40 students oh wow um along with you know you know practicing every day from so not much has changed then <laughs> Yeah, and and you know, and that's how I made it. That's how I bought the gafriller. That's how I bought my right. first house. That's how I, right. you know, the, the concerts when you're young tend not to make it so that you can survive. <laughs> right. Absolutely. How did you t end up um, at SMU? Uh, <clears throat> it, it, it's kind of a uh, kind of a funny story. Uh, Nancy Cochran, who was the head of the uh, the, the music department. Uh, her daughter had worked with Roberto at uh, Curtis. This was when Roberto was still the principal violist of the Philadelphia Orchestra. Philadelphia. And so uh, she called Roberto and she said, you know, we've had a, a failed search or maybe two failed searches for a, for a cello teacher. And she was wondering if I might be interested. So she, uh, he gave her my phone number. And I, I remember I was at home practicing in Philadelphia living there at the time and uh she she pretty much straight out asked me that nothing about a job or anything she said you know right. i'm just wondering if you would be willing to come to smu and play a recital and i said to her i said well sure uh, you know i had heard about smu i'd had some friends that had gone to school there uh one of my closest friends growing up in atlanta went there and studied with eric friedman Oh, I see. Um, so I, I told her, I said, well, let me check my, let me go get my book so I can, you know, look at dates. And she goes, actually, the recital would be tomorrow. <laughs> and I said, well, let me call the pianist that I played with, this Wendy Chen, and uh, see if she's available to fly to Dallas tomorrow. And, you know, you tell me what kind of a program you want and we'll put something together. So, you know, we, we came in, I think we played Luzlovsky, I played some Bach, and then I think Rachmaninoff Sonata or something like that. Yes. Uh, and uh, we played, uh, it, it, what was funny is that we, we still had not had any, any kind of a conversation about a job. And at the time, of course, my wife was like the vice president of the Philadelphia Orchestra. So, I mean, I, <laughs> I, 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 I wouldn't have even asked 
her to leave that <laughs> yes. to come to, to, to Dallas. Right. So long story short, uh, Wendy and I walk into, uh, it wasn't Carruth, it was O'Donnell, uh, to play the recital, and there are five people there. And I thought mm. to myself, my goodness, why did they bring me all the way to Dallas to play a recital? <laughs> right. And there's, there are four people in the audience, or five people in the audience. And it was because of the fact that that was the committee. Yes. So after the recital, they had me do a master class. After the master class, she asked me to come back to her office and she said, uh, you know, how would you like, how would you feel about coming to teach here? And that's how the whole thing started. I see. So I went home with my, you know, the tail between my legs thinking, oh man, I'm going to mention this to my <laughs> wife and she's going to just take a baseball bat to my head. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, she was like, hey, you know, I grew up in the South. Let's, let's, let's try something different. Let's go to Dallas. And well, so long I, story I, short, I, I'm here. I've been here 14 years. I'm one of many who consider myself uh, grateful on a daily basis that you made that decision. I mean, not, not only has the, has the um, school benefited from your extraordinary uh, teaching, but you were on the committee that hired me. So I'm very grateful to you for that. <laughs> oh, that, you, you, were, you were it. You were the person to hire. <laughs> Tell me, Andres, um, in your time at Meadows now, almost 15 years, what are some of the highlights? Uh, the highlights have been, you know, uh, uh, playing recitals, playing chamber music with faculty. Uh, you know, the, the, the triple concerto that we did was, was something else. I did a, a Brahms yes. double with Manny Borak uh, maybe about 10 years ago or so. Uh, and of course, you know, but playing chamber music with the students, uh, has, has been something that I started doing as soon as I walked into the school. Uh, we've done some beautiful concerts, uh, playing with the percussion ensemble. We've done some incredible yes. stuff for solo cello and, and, uh, percussion ensembles. And then of course, you know, you, the, the students, I think the students are so fabulous. You know, I, I, I taught in so many different schools. Uh, in in Boston, New England Conservatory, Boston Conservatory, Boston University, Harvard, MIT, you know, all these schools have orchestras. And I, you know, I was teaching so many of those kids. And for the most part, the kids always complained about their schools. And that's something that doesn't seem to exist in the in the student community at, at SMU. They they always seem so happy to be there. It I makes agree. it, you know, so so that day after day going in to teach is just it's such a pleasure, you know. Um and you know we've had some we've had some incredible cellists. We you know uh, Santiago Canon won third prize and Queen Elizabeth and second prize. Yes. And, and Tchaikovsky last year and first prize and just about everything else. <laughs> yes. Yes. He's he's cleaning up. And so we we've had some we've had some real success with uh, outside of the school with with kids that went to the school. So that's that's been that's been a big deal. Well, we, we, you and I have connected as friends on a number of, of subjects. I mean, we're, we're, we connect as colleagues and as uh, musicians. And in fact, I recall meeting you uh, 15 years ago in Korea. That was the first time we played together. And right. I think uh, one of the ways in which we've connected, which has had the most impact for me and my family, has been on automobiles. Oh, and yes. I know that you, you, you love them at least as much as you love music. And I know that in your spare time, you love to race that beautiful 97 Dodge Viper. And I'm wondering, could you talk about 
this need for speed and this passion for cars? Well, the, the, the passion for cars be, began very early on uh, when we were still in Chile because my grandfather liked, uh, my, my, my mother's father liked sports cars. And I'll never forget one day he showed up at the house with a 12-cylinder Jaguar. Uh, Aaron, you would oh, have died. Yes. Uh, convertible, <laughs> yes. no less. Uh, which oh. meant that it, it, got, it got stolen in about three days. But, right. <laughs> but at least I got to see it. Um, and then my dad, you know, as a musician in Chile, you couldn't really make a living. Uh, it was just sort of something that you did that you loved on the side. So my dad uh, got a degree in mechanical engineering from the, 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 the university in Santiago. Uh, and so when we came to the States, uh, you know, and the, the Atlanta Symphony was only a halftime orchestra at the time in 73, uh, we started going to, uh, well, uh, to back up a little bit, my dad, when he bought an old car in Chile, we would, we would essentially like revive these cars that sometimes were barely running. And he would sit me in, on, in, inside the engine compartment on top of the engine and I would hand him wrenches. And just watch how he worked on the cars. Yeah. Uh, so that's that was that was how I got started with the the whole thing. And uh, when we came to this country, we delivered newspapers from you know three thirty in the morning till we had to. Then he would just essentially drop us off at school, and he he would either go to a drafting job where he was drafting machinery uh, for a company, or he would go to the Atlanta Symphony if. The, the Atlanta Symphony happened to be playing that week. Maybe. And um, so for my dad, I, I learned a lot about how to work on the cars. And then when I turned uh, 14, uh, I was going to get my learner's permit at 15. He went to a junkyard and he got a 1959 Volvo. One of the first Volvos to come to the U.S. It looked like a... Yes. O overgrown VW bug. Yes. And he said, if you want a car next year, when you start driving, you got to figure out how to make this thing run. So I took the car completely apart, uh, somehow managed to put it back together and put gas in it and put a battery in it. And it started. And I drove that car, you know, off and on when I wasn't in school until it had like 350,000 miles, maybe more. Uh, and then I sold it to the big Volvo dealer in Atlanta uh, for a much newer car. And they put, they put it in the showroom. I, I don't know if they still have it there or not, but uh, it was That's just a really, really beautiful car. So fast forward, uh, I started working and I, you know, I, I love sports cars and everything. So in 1997, I just decided to go all out and buy this Dodge Viper that has actually graced the cover of my box suites. <laughs> Viper and Bach, I don't know what that has to do with each other, but uh, um, I took that car, I took the Viper apart and rebuilt the engine uh, with much stronger parts because I, the, the idea was that eventually I wanted to start trying to race it. And then I joined this uh, race club in Crescent, Texas uh, and, you know, would go out there and race all the time. Uh, and it's been an incredible car. I retired the car from racing about a month ago and now I've taken it apart and I'm putting it back together and trying to make it a, more of a street car. So um, it's sort of a work in pro progress right now. But but yeah, I, I I have that. I have a Mercedes SLS Gullwing, and a and a Porsche GT2, 
and uh, various other automobiles. Way too many, in fact. <laughs> I don't know about that. Well, I'm, I'm happy to say that your collection of cars continues to give uh, my son great pleasure, and I thank you for that. Oh, Yuki, I, you know what? <laughs> to, to see him like look up at the Benz that's up on a lift in my garage and, and go, oh, Benz. <laughs> so well, look, cute. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, before we run out of time, I'm going to ask you two uh, philosophical questions. Okay. Uh, the, the first being that I would like to ask you what you have taken away from this lockdown experience and how have you grown? You know, uh, I, I have never been satisfied with the way I play the cello. I always feel like there's so much more to get from yes. the way I play. Uh, and so I, once the, we went into lockdown, I mean, I, I've, I've continued to teach an enormous amount. Uh, I just taught two lessons this morning. I'm teaching one this afternoon. And, you know, they, it just, it's, it's pretty much constant now. Uh, so I'm not teaching any less, but I'm not playing any concerts. Right. So uh, I, the first thing I did, I went through the 40 Popper Etudes four times. I went through the 12 Piatti Caprices four times. I went back to all these old uh, Etude books that Martha Gershevsky made me play. And then I've gotten into these uh, Basilaire, Paul Basilaire etudes that are just horrific. And I've <laughs> essentially retaught myself how to play the cello. And I, my hands feel better. My hands feel much stronger. And I think it's, uh, it's, it's, it's been good to just go back and figure everything out from the ground up. Uh, I've yes. been practicing, I, I've maybe skipped a couple of days, but for the most part, I've practiced every single day since lockdown. Well, uh, with that in, in, in mind, tell me, uh, what is your mantra? Uh, either do it at the highest level or don't do it at all. Fabulous. Andres, this has been a great conversation. I remain grateful to be able to call you a colleague and a friend. And I'm delighted to have spoken with you today. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much, Aaron. Mm -hmm.